0: Hey, everyone. Greg Meskel here. Thanks for joining us on another episode of What's Good. Today, we have a great guest joining us. You've seen her on Fox with their NFL coverage, Olympic Games. Laura Oakman. Laura, thanks for being here.
1: What's good? What's good? I just want to, like, just hearing the title makes me happy. and makes me in my head already. So great being here. Thank you for having me, Greg.
0: You know, I feel like this show was meant for you because those that have been around you, you just radiate positive energy. so before we get into all the stuff that you do, galvanize and the reporting and the speaking and mentoring where where does this positive energy for you come from? Is it something you got from your family, something you developed over time? How did you get to this point?
1: Um, I got to this point. I can tell you exactly when I got to it. Uh, I was about forty years old and uh, this is probably not the direction you thought we were going to go in, but I was in a plane and like you and I always are, that we're always traveling. Um, and I thought the plane was crashing and the whole, we had a massive dramatic drop, masks came down and everybody was screaming and crying and praying and reaching for their phone. And I sat there and I didn't care. And I've told that story and people will always be like, oh, cause you accomplished so much. And I'm like, No. I didn't care. And they'll be like, because you were at peace. I'm like, I literally didn't care if the plane went down. And, and I checked off all the boxes in my life, you know, the Super Bowls and the Olympics and, and this career that I had spent my whole life trying to build. And I had all of that. But suddenly, I really realized at, at, a, at a very challenging time, that was all I had. And so we landed, thank God. And I made a vow at that moment to start creating a life that I cared desperately about. God forbid if a plane uh, ever crashed, that I was in. And that changed everything for me. It went from me just, um, I think I was always probably a positive person, but I also didn't share anything. I had no close friends because I didn't want anyone to know I was depressed. I didn't want anyone to know I was sad. And I didn't want to sound like I was complaining because I had a great job. And I didn't want to sound like I wasn't grateful. And so I spent a really good year of my life at that point creating life and really figuring out who I was, not what I did and and realizing the distinction. And everything from that moment on changed for me. And so I um, I think that's always been what's driven me since then is making sure that every day is that not necessarily that I'm always positive, but I'm always purposeful. I'm always aware of the blessings and I'm always just aware of um, of how grateful I am to have done the work and to have come out the other side and to be happier than I've ever been in my life. And, and I hope that shows every day because I feel that every day.
0: And I'd imagine that you don't want to live in that fear moment of the plane possibly going down memory. And so you build this intentional life afterwards. Is that what has given the fuel to the way that you feel now each day after that in the life you've tried to lead?
1: i think when i look back at that it's just one of those things where it feels like a movie of somebody else because i i look you know how people will always ask the question about what could you say what would you say to yourself at 15 or what would you say to yourself you know at a younger age and i always am like man i needed to hear that at 40 you know forget when i was 13 or 15 which i needed i needed then but i think I think when I look back at all of that now, it's such a different person and I just feel so sorry for her. And so I can't even say that that still is a fear because I don't recognize her anymore. And I just, again, like I just feel sorry for her and I got the lesson when I was supposed to. I wish I got it earlier, but I got it the minute I was supposed to. And so I think it's more of, instead of fear, I would just say appreciation, you know, of, of of building a life that I love madly that, you know, I, I still love my job, but that's nothing to do with why I love my life. Um, and you met my husband, you know, I got, I, am you know, found the love of my life after 40. I lived the you know, the time of my life after that. So I think it's more than fear, probably more out of gratitude and appreciation for having done the work.
0: And as you mentioned, you, you really embrace what I know you refer to as the second act in life. And one of the things you've taken on, is this galvanized program where you're mentoring the next generation of female on-air talent in a variety of realms within the sports world. How did that come about and what's been so rewarding about launching that?
1: It's been everything. It's given me so much purpose. It's again, goes back to what did I need? What would I have wanted when I was starting my journey and I didn't have any women mentors and I didn't have any women friends in this business. And um, the reps, you, you know, you learn how to be better. You know, you learn to be a better reporter. You learn to be a better play by play, you know, analyst, whatever it is. That's just the experience and the reps. But I really struggled as I got thrown into this industry in a time where there weren't many women. And I just know I made so many state mistakes because it's not black and white. It's just gray. Everything about this business is gray. And I would have killed for, I would have killed for a a network of women and I started seeing what was happening um, as the, as we kind of started, a new cycle started with women in sports and there were many more, which was great, but I saw them getting younger and younger and getting really big opportunities. And if that would have happened when I was 30, I would have been very resentful of the women, you know, been like, you need to pay your dues and you know, that's not how I did it. But luckily it happened to me when I was in the middle of my work. So it happened when I was 40 and it happened when I instead of getting judgmental, I got very protective and went, "Boy, what would I have done if I was thrown in there?" So the first time I, you know, I planned something. It didn't have a name, and it didn't have—I didn't even know what I was doing. I just kind of was like, "Let me try to get uh, women together and see if anybody would be interested." And it took me about four months to get twenty women who were young aspiring reporters. And now it's grown. I mean, I've worked with over two thousand women and each boot camp, I still keep them very small, but there's a waiting list of about 30 women each time. Um, And it's now it's more women off camera. It's women who want to be play by play. It's women who want to be in PR and marketing agents. It's, it's turned into, I think, more of um, just that network of women. And so the easy stuff is being like, you know, they want to be on camera or they want to, you know, be in PR, whatever it is. But we spend all of our time about who are you. So it's basically, like I said, I learned my lesson when I was older and that's what I was supposed to, but I always think, gosh, how great would that be if I could teach someone at 22 this lesson? You know, if she could start working on who she was before she loses herself in this job. And also we have women from 20 years old to 40s. So it's just this great range of women coming together and Really, not judging, not sizing each other up, but how can we galvanize each other? How can we truly help each other and it's it's been one of the the greatest things about the second act i've had
0: I always love the premise of comparing feelings of success in in different areas, and so I'll ask you to compare the feeling of let's say you execute the perfect in your mind or as good as it could be post game interview, you track down Tom Brady, everything goes flawless, he gives you great answers what What is that like? Versus when you have one of these boot camps and you see kind of that light bulb moment or that noticeable progress in just a couple of days.
1: Doesn't even compare like it's I would have had a different answer, you know, again, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, but I'm not a mom. And so this is giving, giving me those feelings. And so all of a sudden to n- this career, you know, this is so selfish. So everything's about you. Everything's about where you're living and moving and leaving people and family. And so it's just, it's, it's very selfish. It's all about your growth and where you're climbing. And so for the first time I've seen, I, I've gotten that satisfaction of Watching a young woman who I know is so scared to do an interview I know is so scared to do a stand-up and watching her crush it and watching 25 other women go crazy when she's crush it and crush it when she crushes it and watch them all start crying and I can only think that I would wind up comparing that to being a mother of how you feel when you're so proud of your children I wouldn't know since I don't have them but it's just it's a whole different feeling for me since since I've never had that so You know, I'm still proud of interviews. I'm so proud of things that I do work-wise, but I'm like, yes, job well done, or that was great. I might call my husband or text my husband and be like, that was awesome, crushed it. But I don't think about it again. And this stuff I think about constantly, you know, about how proud I am of them and getting texts and emails and calls from them really all (laughs) hours of the day and night. And so it like that to me has given me just so much joy, just so much joy.
0: As you describe these galvanized workshops, for those that aren't familiar, maybe they're envisioning you kind of in front of a room giving instruction, but they're really immersive experiences where you're embedded with a team. There's there's videos I've seen where you're with the Minnesota Vikings or you're with another team or franchise or sport. And it was leading me back to this thing you talk about where you build relationships, not sources. And I was thinking there's no way that you get a bunch of NFL guys, and it's not the third string tight end who's trying to make the team. It is, it is the A-list coaches and people. You don't get them to hang out and and work with your group if you haven't built a strong relationship.
1: It's one of the greatest lessons I get to not preach, but I get to show when I bring all these women into these NFL buildings. And, and we've done it with other teams too and other leagues, but the NFL is really, you know, where we we've done over 30 boot camps with NFL teams um, and, and did five virtually just in the last few months too. Um, and it's awesome to be able to show them that because what I will say to them is, do you think that I called the head coach last week and just said, I'd like to bring 25 women into your facility. Can you give me your rookie class? You know, like, let me train them. So that's almost 30 years of getting to know head coaches when they were assistant coaches or general managers when they were scouts. And, and all of a sudden, when I began the second chapter and started doing all of this work with women, it was really, really wonderful to be able to call these people that I've known for a million years and go, this is what I'm doing. And then going, we'd love to be a part of that. And, and it began very much as a favor of, you know, hey, I'd like to bring in these women and here's what what you could do to help us. And teams were great about that. But what really changed was I started getting hired to do a lot of training with the teams and with the players and some coaches and, and helping them. And I thought, huh, on one hand, I'm working with all these players telling me, uh, I don't trust anybody. I don't know how to, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't trust reporters. Um, I don't know how to build those relationships. I don't know how to vet reporters. And I was working with all these women and all they wanted to do is earn trust and build trust. And, and so I just thought, why am I not bringing these two together? And so the greatest thing I can say about when we pair up with the NFL teams is we've never left a boot camp, and they haven't asked us back before we left that day. And so the players get as much out of it as we do. And that's awesome because it's one thing for a team to go, Hey, respect women journalists, you know, and, and especially when we work with the rookies, they've never had women in their locker room. So they have to get that speech, right? Like, be good to women and you know, blah, blah, blah. But they get to spend a few hours with these incredible women who've flown from all over the country to help them tell their stories and do it in a real private kind of lovely bubble. And it's really wonderful to be able to not just say be better, you know, be good to women reporters, but now when they see women reporters, they're going to remember this team of women. They're going to remember how their partner worked so hard to make them happy and to make sure that they help them tell their story so it's it's been awesome it's been great because building the relationships and showing the women how you know what i've been able to turn those relationships into but also being able to help all these young women and all these young men is they're all beginning their journeys together and i hope that they wind up all staying in touch as they all kind of help each other hopefully throughout the years
0: and as you alluded to earlier, that was a thing that you felt like you didn't you didn't have earlier in your career, right you didn't you didn't build out that network of your fellow uh, female media or or others in general, largely what based in feeling that there was competition and you had to kind of fend people off
1: I think it's I think that's the stereotype and I probably thought that when I was younger, but I think what it is, at least in my case and and for a lot of these you know these young women too, what I really try to get them to understand is it's not that I was competing with anyone. I just was so, I was just looking ahead, trying to blaze my trail. I was just trying to keep going down this path. And it was a really hard path. And everyone kept telling me, no one wants you on this path. And, and you know, and you better have a different path because this one's not going to, you know, be long, you know, you won't be long on it. And so I was so busy trying to just keep going forward that I didn't think to look back to go, well, does anyone need my help? And I didn't think to look ahead and go, well, who's done this before me that I can reach out to? And I wasn't looking to the left and the right. I just kind of head down, like, go, go, go. So by the time, by the, you know, I just, I never had women in my life. So I never thought about it. And I think that's many, not all, but many, many women in sports, especially in Galvanize, we always consider ourselves guys, girls, right? Like, you know, I grew up loving sports and I'm around the guys. And so we kind of all have that, um, have that, fe- a lot of us have that feeling. And so I just never thought, huh, what would it be like to have other women? Because I didn't have them growing up. And I just know now where I'm like, oh my gosh, boy, did I miss out? Like, I, I am a guy's girl, but who knew I was a girl's girl? Like, who <laughs> knew that women would change my life? So I think it was more of just not knowing any different and just keeping my head down and worrying about me and not looking around and see if anyone else was around me.
0: Such a big part of what you do professionally is, is interviewing, right? Whether you're on the sideline or you do the long form interviews I've seen at the Olympic games or you're hosting a panel or some other discussion. I wanted to ask you a little bit about this and, and first kind of maybe the more intense interview environment. So that that post-game scenario, I've done a very little bit of this, you've done a ton of it. What is that mental checklist that's going on in your head as the game is winding to a close, you know you have to talk to this person, you want to be a good interviewer, so you want to listen, right, and hear and react, but you have your thoughts. How do you process all of that and then act?
1: I think I love that because it's, <laughs> It's almost like what you're asking is the last thing you think about because you know in a tight game, you know if it's if it's one that you know, then you have five minutes on the sideline to say to the PR guy, "I want Tom Brady." You know, I I you know that please bring me Dak Prescott, and you know what you're going to do. You know you have two or three questions, so you you have time. It seems like less and less time we get those uh, that we get that time. I think about more about when the game's down to the wire and you're on one sideline and all and you're not sure which one it's going to go and now it's just you got to run you got to get the guy you know it has to be the guy but you haven't talked to the pr guy and you can't because they're going to say not now not now we don't know if we're going to win so you kind of have to sit there and figure out where is which guy make sure that i get him i got to get my camera guy i've got to who's on the other side now. And I'm just waiting to see who's going to win. And then all of a sudden run to the field, grab the guy, get the camera and the PR guy yelling two questions. you got two questions. He's got to get in the team's waiting. And so there's so much adrenaline. And then all of a sudden you're just like, Oh, Dak, you know, like, here we go. So I think as a young reporter, that was very scary and that was like, you dreaded that and then you get more comfortable and confident in what you what you see and what you know about the game that I think that's the fun now of just grabbing a guy and kind of having a real moment and being able to, you know, they always come up to you and say something great and you kind of start with that energy and, and go. Cause usually right before the camera, I'll always check in as a human and just like, wow, you know, what an ending. And usually they'll walk up and be like, I did not think I was going to see you right now. You know, so there's something that you can just kind of roll with and, and, and enjoy their energy. But It's really fun. You know, it seems like I'm sure everyone watches at home and loves to say, like, that was a dumb question, which we all ask at some point. Um, Or, you know, or that's, uh, you know, what, what did they mean, the reporter mean by that? But there's so much going on to just get to that interview that sometimes your head is just at that moment, whatever comes out is going to come out. And you just hope that you hope it's good. You hope it's, you hope it's the right questions at the right time. And you have the right guy who's going to, who's going to play with you or who's going to, who's going to continue the conversation.
0: You have this long career covering the NFL. And, and as you've talked about, you're able to build relationships, no coaches, players, athletes, but you cover other things too. You get in an Olympics environment where you're going to do a longer form interview with maybe someone you don't know terribly well. Maybe you've met them once or twice, or it's their first time coming across you. You've done the research, but how do you microwave that feeling of a relationship in the moment so that it comes across natural?
1: Um, age. I think. We, I think as a young reporter, again, I was so nervous about me and always like my questions and, did the research, but, you know, didn't trust the research. And, and so I was always so nervous. And so when you're so nervous about yourself, that's the energy you're giving. And so I think the more confidence you gain when someone walks in that room and I make it all about them. And so it's, sometimes you have a minute before, you know, before that that interview starts. Um, uh, Sometimes you have five minutes if something's going wrong, or sometimes you have 15 seconds, but, I make sure there's a human connection beforehand, that there's something so they trust me, that they know I got them, that they can follow me, and that um, that I'm not, my first question is not going to be one they've heard before, I'm going to make sure I get them thinking right away, or I get them feeling right away, and so I want them to almost be caught off guard, like, oh, like, I didn't know we we're going to do therapy right now, or, you know, like, oh, I, you know, I, this might be a real conversation right now. So I I try to make sure from the second that they walk into the room, wherever I'm doing it, that, that it's the connection that I'm, I'm with them. I'm not with anyone else in the room and to make sure that they're really comfortable and make sure that I'm listening completely. So they know I'm there for them. I'm not sitting there nervous for me. And that's, that's hard. You know, this, like, it's just, in the beginning like anyone you're so worried about the job you're going to do and and that's always what i have to tell the young reporters is there's two conversations in your head when you start it's the two conversations are the one you and i are having and then the one in my head and whenever this conversation's going it's never a good one it's always you suck it's always your questions awful like it's never like great question like you got this you're killing it it's negative and so i I would trip up on those two conversations and the more confident I got and the more comfortable, it just, it, it all of a sudden morphed into one conversation and being present and that's in work and in life. And all my relationships got better. All my conversations, not just in an interview, but on an airplane, you know, sitting and talking to someone suddenly felt, um, suddenly felt very different when I was, when I was present, when I was sharing, not just interviewing and like really talking and having a real conversation. It just, it changes everything.
0: I've used the analogy often of uh, Chris Farley in the old Tommy Boy movie, where he wants to make the sale so bad, you're almost like white knuckle driving it and he ruins it. And you really have to sometimes pull back and just let the thing happen and know that you know what to do.
1: Um, I always use, but I I like the Tommy Boy analogy better, But um, I always use um, sand in your hand. If I go to the beach and I just take some sand and I squeeze real hard, sand's going to all come down. But if I just put some sand in my hand and I just open my hand a little bit, just a little bit, the sand sits there. So it's always, I can tell with me, um, sometimes when I'm squeezing the sand too hard and it's just, just let it go a little bit. And, and I have that conversation a lot with young reporters um, men and women, which is just, you're squeezing the sand so much. You know, I, I know you want this. I, I know it. Like, I feel that for you, but we can't all know that so much. We just, we kind of open our hand a little bit and let it happen versus that tight, you know, white knuckling. And that was a life change for me because I can feel when I squeeze the sand and nothing good ever comes from it. And it just, it never does. It's, you feel like you're selling or you feel like you're pushing or you're fighting for it. And when you open it up a little bit, it just feels like you give some room to just to, to make it happen, whatever it is.
0: We've, we've covered relationships a bit, so I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up someone I know that was really important in your life and someone that you named a scholarship after with Galvanize with Stuart Scott, someone that you post about on social media often. And I know one of your pets is named in, in uh, homage to Stuart. Yes, right? Booyah. Booyah.
1: Yes. yes. (laughs) Who was not in the room, but yes. (laughs)
0: What, what, what impact did he have on you and why was that someone that you, that you did connect with well throughout your sports career?
1: We met um, the day I should know the exact day. I need to look it up. Uh, But it was the day that Alonzo morning was traded to the heat. And we were both in Chicago covering the bulls and waiting for Pat Riley to come for a game. And we were both in a room um, all day, waiting for for Pat Riley to come. And I had Madam Stewart was just starting; like he was still at ESPN two ASPN2 at the time, but he was just starting. And I was a young reporter um, in Chicago covering the Bulls. And we just started talking. And all I can tell you is he he was so important in my life for a million reasons. But one of the biggest things at that time, at that age, was. I was petrified of being the only woman, you know, there was, it was never a time traveling with the bulls that there were more than two of us in a locker room. You know, that it was just, I always had that fear of always being the only woman. And I judged everything by being a woman reporter. And Stuart would always say to me, you got to take being a woman out of this. You're a reporter, you're a journalist, you're not a woman journalist, you're not a reporter. And it was one thing to say that, but because Stuart right during that time was being told, tone it down you know that that you don't need to talk this way you don't you know you you don't sound like how other uh, journalists talk or how other anchors talk and where i shrunk because of that and i just wanted to like be small stuart stepped into it and was very proud of the fact that he stood out was very proud of the fact that um that he was doing it differently and i needed that at that time because i i was so i was paralyzed by that so he was he just was so important at that age when we, when we met because, um, because he really taught me about, you know, he would say to me all the time, don't compare yourself to other women, compare yourself to the best journalists. You know, you don't, you're not competing with that, those women, you're competing with everybody. You know, who's, in, and so that was really important for me to learn. And I don't think I would have gotten that with just a boss saying that um, or another white person saying that it was really important because he was doing it and to watch him stand out and to watch how proud he was to stand out while I was trying to fight was, was amazing. And that's just one example, but I can just tell you that, you know, that he was, he was the greatest, you know, the greatest, greatest friend I ever had. And, um and was just such a good, good, good man.
0: And I'm glad you brought up the Chicago bulls because Uh, you and him covering that together, but I'm sure with the last dance airing and that did happen during this pandemic, even though it may feel like it was two years ago when the documentary aired, I'm sure people were hitting you up and texting you as someone who covered that team. And I'm sure you've been asked about a favorite moment or something like that, but I, but I'm curious. and, And I know, as you've alluded to, you were a younger reporter covering that team. They're so good. It's such a level of greatness. I know personally, if I'm, if I'm around other people that are great, it, it makes me kind of try and rise up. And not that I'm anywhere like Michael Jordan in what I do, right? But you, you aspire to get to that quality. When you're covering a group like that, does that dawn on you at all? Are you trying to match their excellence with your excellence?
1: Yeah, I was so aware of that then. Of, of also, I mean, look at the people being interviewed. You know, I was so fortunate. Michael Wilbon and David Aldridge are really good to me you know, and, and, but those were the people I was in the locker rooms with, you know, those were the ones who I was looking at. So I felt like such a fraud, you know, I was not ready for that. Again, a young woman getting shoved into an opportunity that I was very grateful for, but I wasn't ready for. And so I always had that, that feeling of do I belong here? And so I was very aware every time I sat down with Michael Jordan or every time I sat down with Scotty or any of them of, of knowing who they sat down with before me and so trying really hard not to be nervous trying really hard to ask better questions um as much as i could at that age you know it's still you know a 24 year old woman being as good as she could be but so i very much yes was very aware of it was very aware of the greatness around me and not wanting to bring it down and wanting to make sure that um that even if my talent wasn't at that level, my professionalism was that I could make sure that I was um, that, that I could at least know that I belonged in that room as a person. And I'm still working really hard on trying to belong in that room as a reporter, which took a while longer. But I mean, I, I can't even tell you how many lessons I learned during that time from Michael Jordan. I met Michael when he was playing baseball. I was in Chattanooga, Tennessee and covering the Barons. And so I learned some terrific lessons from Michael, from Charles Barkley. Like that's usually my stories of building relationships. Charles Barkley gave me my first one. Michael was one of my first ones because I went from the network I was at called Sports Channel to CNN Sports and they would constantly have me go talk to Michael about anything because I was the Chicago reporter, the Midwest reporter and they knew I could get to him because I had a relationship with them. So they would keep sending for anything. And so I would because I wanted to impress my new bosses. And Michael one day pulled me aside and said, "Um, I know this isn't coming from you. I know that you have bosses who you're trying to impress. But I need you to go tell your bosses that just because you can go to the well doesn't mean you should always go to the well and said to me, like, I'm going to give you one sit down a season, you know, like one really good one, as long as you want, but you're going to have to choose one that is choose wisely. And so that was a really good lesson for a young reporter who didn't think about the relationship I was building with, with Michael Jordan. I just wanted to impress my boss, impress my boss. Now, I, at some point, those weren't my bosses anymore. And I'm really thankful I learned not to burn bridges and not to and to not think of Michael Jordan or whoever I'm covering as a source or a contact, but as a relationship that I needed to manage because my bosses weren't going to help me do it. So um, so even though I wasn't at near a great level, I still was very aware of who I was around and making sure I soaked up every bit of it.
0: That, that's such a great lesson. I, I, I love that idea, right? Because... Yeah, people will see. Oh man, we can get Michael Jordan whenever we want. Why not keep keep getting it right until? But it is your relationship and and one to protect. Even even today now, right? You you've been doing this. You you feel very confident in 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 the way you present yourself, the way you interview people. Do the bigger moments still f- ramp you up a bit? Do you do you feel it differently? Like I need to really be be in this because it's so big.
1: I think. It's better because, again, it's not about me as much, you know. About I, I'm not wasting the moment thinking, "Am I going to screw this up?" or "Am I good enough?" Like now, I, I if I'm there, it's because I belong there, and so I can truly be present and enjoy a moment. So, um, even you know, I've covered over a dozen Super Bowls, but this last one, whenever, the, when was this last Super Bowl? <laughs> when uh, was Miami? November, <laughs> so w- how you and I know each other in the Westwood right. one family they had I, it was the first time that I've called a super bowl game. And so at, before this year whenever that was I didn't think I needed to. I thought I was really good with my resume and I, and I there's things I still want to accomplish in my life but I'm good career wise. And I didn't realize until being on the field right before it started and everybody was kicked off and all of a sudden I was there and was like this is like this is a great moment. I never even thought I could I never thought I'd call a Super Bowl. So, I still am very aware of where I am, but a lesson that Stuart and I learned together during the last dance days was Stuart and I would sit next to each other on the on the court in the media um, place or in the media seats and we would cover our faces and we would be fans, you know, like you know do, during some of those incredible games. And we would watch all the reporters around us, who were all much older usually, but we'd watch them and we'd watch how they were so serious, and how it was very much about deadlines, which I understand, but that we didn't see any of that like fan. And not that you should be a fan because you shouldn't, but what Stuart and I would quietly hide our faces and like oh to each other, but what we would say in those moments was, let's promise we never, ever lose sight of our moment in the middle of other people's moments. And so when I look at Let's Dance, when I watch that, I I, I can't remember points. I can't remember which game five and which game four. I really can't. But I can remember exactly who I went to, went to dinner with afterwards. I can remember conversations with Stuart I had if I was sitting with him. And that's the stuff that I'm still so blown away by, the privilege of the backdrop, but also just who I'm with and, and how I'm, how I'm a part of that is still amazing to me.
0: S- such awesome stuff, Laura. You ha- you have stories. I could, I could, uh, bend your ear for the next four hours, but, uh, we end every conversation with our what's good three questions and I'll kick it off with, uh, what's something during all this pandemic time, what's something you've done for yourself lately?
1: Um, that's a hard one because I've done a lot for galvanize and I've really made sure that I'm, I'm, doing so much for so many and, and for so many, you know, for so many women, I have a series going on right now with 109 reporters. So I'm juggling a lot. And I'd say that this quarantine has been a really good time for me to say, okay, I keep filling everybody else's cup, but I, I probably need to fill up mine sometimes. So not sometimes I need to fill up mine. And so I think the, the good thing that I've done for myself is, taking time with my husband and Booyah, and making sure that we turn off the phone and making sure that we have our time, that we really appreciate this this found time together. And um, what I'd say is, you know, when we add Moscow mules to our walks with Booyah at night, that's that's a really good thing I've done for myself.
0: Very proud of that. Everyone has their thing, that's perfect, that's That's, perfect, a little little outdoor time, a Moscow mule, excellent. (laughs) Galvanize is a very big thing, so it's totally fair if you want that to be your answer. But what's but what's something you've done for someone else?
1: Um, that's probably the biggest thing during this time is just is making sure. It, galvanize changes when during football. You know, I'm so busy and I've got my schedule. So all the all the girls know that Laura's not as you know as attainable during the season, and they kind of know once the season starts, it's like here she, you know here she goes, and what I've really done for these five months is be available all the time for them. You know, I hope they would say that and making sure that I'm creating things for them to find their purpose and for them to find meaning out of this and to give them a support group of each other. So my phone right now is going crazy this whole time because 109 reporters are on a group chat, you know? And so to really, I really wanted to make sure that, I was having all these calls with all these young women saying the same thing. And I thought, what can I do to get them all together? What can I do to make sure that they're leaning on each other, not just a mentor, um, but that age, what they're going through. So I'll always look back at this time. God willing, we get to look back on it, that we leave it. But I'll always look back at this time and be be very proud of all the work that I hopefully did for all these incredible women and, um, and, and gave a lot of my time and gave a lot of my
0: attention to it. And then, last but not least, whether it's maybe a movie or a show you watched, or or a funny story someone told you, what's something that really made you laugh recently?
1: Um, right before this interview, so the series that I'm doing, so it's 109 reporters, and they're interviewing 109 different people, and one of the interviews was with my husband, and so I, so he was with the reporter, and the series is called Who Not Do, so you're not allowed to talk about your job, and it's all about who you are, and so. Basically, you can't see, but I was like behind, right behind this wall, just laying on the floor, listening to the interview quietly. So he didn't know. But the second that it was over, I popped up and like basically critiqued the reporter and my husband, questions and answers. I found out quickly he was not really a fan of me doing that, but (laughs) it definitely made me laugh um, to see um, to just be able to like sit there and listen to him getting getting some hard questions thrown at him and to see how he handled it and also just um watching the reporter's poor face as my husband and i turned it turned into a you can't tell me what to do even though it's during an interview that you set up so i I had a good i had a good laugh right before our interview with that
0: Uh, fantastic uh laura oakman really appreciate you taking the time looking forward to seeing you back on uh, the fox nfl coverage fingers crossed everything goes well this fall
1: That would. I so hope you and I our our, uh, paths cross soon. It's so nice to see you, Greg, even virtually. Thank you so much for having me.